Amen. Well, welcome here. Welcome to uh, National Lead Pastor Doesn't Have to Preach Today Day. <laughs> it's always the day the lead pastor doesn't have to preach. Welcome to our family service. We're really glad you guys are here. It's great to see the kids uh, joining us today. You know, we got old and young and semi-old and young but feel old probably this morning, especially after all that turkey and stuff. Um, yeah, just on behalf of Central Leadership, we just hope you guys had a great Christmas. Uh, it was so fun having our Christmas Eve service here. Uh, a lot of you have been coming up to me telling me the infamous story of the candy cane disaster. So uh, we'll live on. It will live on in the history of our fair church. So it's wonderful. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this time of year, I, I, love, uh, I love this time of year because there is all this busyness and there's, you know, we're seeing family and there's all these things going on and we're giving gifts and, and yet there's this nice moment, usually during this week, I hope for you, uh, I know for myself it happens where we just get a little time to pause and to reflect on the year that has gone by and the year that's coming up. It's kind of a great uh, time to just think about new beginnings and fresh starts. And um, Pastor Gary mentioned the daily Bible reading plan. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I was looking up, uh, Time Magazine did uh, a little article a couple couple years ago, 2012, uh, the top 10 commonly broken New Year's resolutions. So I, I thought I'd share those with you. You might identify with some of them. Uh, number one, lose weight. Number two, quit smoking. Uh, number three, learn something new. So I guess people break that one. They don't learn anything new all year. It's kind of weird. Number four, eat healthier and diet. Number five, get out of debt and save money. Uh, number six, spend more time with family. Number seven, travel to new places. Number eight, be less stressed. Amen to that one. Number nine, volunteer. And uh, we have a kids' ministry that you can do. No, just... Amen. Amen to that, yeah. And, la and number 10, drink less. And that's Gatorade, kids. Drink less Gatorade. Uh, as you know, it's fun to kind of look at resolutions. Uh, I I'm not a big resolutions guy. Uh, I usually think about maybe a couple, but resolutions are kind of tricky because we, we usually end up breaking them, right? It's kind of... It's actually hard for us to actually keep uh, these things that we promise that we're going to do and we promise it to ourselves or whoever, but it's so easy to break them. Um, what I have found a lot easier is to live with just my priorities in check. What are our priorities uh, for this year? And it's a, it's a question for us as Christians as disciples of Jesus, what should be on the top of the list of our priorities? You know, it's so easy. We live in a very busy culture. And it's very, you know, as I even talk to some of you coming in here today, I hear that word all the time. Busy. It's busy. It's crazy busy. How do we stop from being stressed out and distracted and busy this year? And how do we keep our priorities in check? Well, there's a great story in the Gospel of Luke that I found so helpful. I go to it again and again. I think the Lord is trying to teach me many things through this. Uh, and it's this visit that Jesus has uh, with 
a couple of sisters named Mary and Martha. And it's a great story because it reminds us of our priorities. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verse 38 to 42. Uh, and as you do that, I'll just give you a little bit of background of what's happening in, in the book of Luke at this point. Um, Jesus has been traveling around. He's doing all kinds of ministry. He is uh, on his final ascent to Jerusalem. So he is already in chapter 9. It says he's set his face to go to Jerusalem because he knows what has to happen there. He knows he has to die, and that's his mission. That is why he has come. And on the way, um, you know, he gets pulled aside, and, and um, you know, Jesus at this point, uh, he has no home. He was homeless. He, he didn't have a place to stay. He actually relied completely on the hospitality of other people to uh, take care of his needs as he carried out his ministry. And at some point, we're not exactly sure when, but he met this young family of these two sisters and their little brother. Um, the two sisters' names are Martha and Mary. So Martha is the oldest, and Mary is the middle child, and then they have a little brother named Lazarus. Now that name probably rings a bell. Lazarus is uh, in another story in the Gospel of John. Lazarus uh, dies, and he's buried in a tomb, and then Jesus raises him from the dead. And so it's another story where we see this family together. But in this story, um, this, this happened probably before that event, and uh, we get a little encounter with this family. So in John chapter 11, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So we know that Jesus knows his family well, he loves them, and they've spent probably lots of time together. Uh, let's look at our passage, and we'll read our little story. This is God's word. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is a brief little story, but it's just packed full of great lessons for us. So let's just look at it a little bit closer. At the beginning of the passage, it says, Jesus was traveling through town. The town is Bethany. So they live in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And it says... Um, that this was Martha's house. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. So even though Mary and Lazarus live there, it's Martha's home. <laughs> Everybody knows who's in charge of this house. It's Martha. Martha has the house. She's got charge. Uh, you know, Martha is one of these people that is, uh, you know, hospitality is her gift. She loves to serve other people. She loves to cook. She loves to clean. She loves to have everything ready for her guests. That is Martha. It reminds me of um, uh, my wife's grandma, Betty. 
uh, who's no longer with us, but uh, Grandma Betty uh, Thiessen, so all you Mennonites there, love that name. Um, Grandma Betty was just that, that kind of lady. Like, we'd come over to her house, and she would have, like, freezers full of food. Like, just she'd just be making food all the time, and just always had, oh, I've got a pie ready, and... All these things were just always ready for her guests because she just had people over all the time. And that was just how she lived her life. And we get the sense that this is probably Martha. She's probably an amazing cook. People probably love to come over to her house. That's Martha. And then we'll flip over to Mary. Mary, it seems, is a little bit different. She's the younger sister. She's the middle child. Oh, that awkward middle child. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm teasing my brother there. (laughs) And she had a sister. So let's look at the passage again. It says, She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So we get this impression from Martha. We're really getting a view of Mary through Martha's eyes. We get this impression that Mary's kind of lazy, right? She's just hanging out, you know, enjoying things, never really lifting a finger to help. She's the lazy little sister. Come on, Jesus, tell her to pick up her act and help out. That would be nice, right? I remember telling my my middle brother Steve to do that when we were growing up, like, what do you mean? You don't do anything around the house. That didn't go so well. As a little brother. <laughs> One thing we get clear about this Mary, though, this is, uh, just, just to be clear, Mary is not, this is not the, Mar- the mother of Jesus. This is not also Mary Magdalene. There's a, a few Marys in the Bible, kids. It's a little confusing. Um, Mary Magdalene was another lady who uh, was at the tomb of Jesus when he was resurrected. Um, Jesus had cast some evil spirits out of her. That's a different lady. This Mary is usually... Uh, with her family. Every time we encounter her in Scripture, she's with her sister. Um, And the other thing about this Mary that's very, very interesting is each time we see her in the Scripture, she is at Jesus' feet. She's either sitting at his feet, or she's washing his feet, or she's falling at his feet. So, Really, Mary is somebody who is probably a contemplative person. She has no problem slowing down. She has no problem expressing her need. She's not the doer like her sister. So you have these very different personalities in the same home. Maybe, that, maybe your family's like that. And they clash a little bit. Martha's upset at her. Mary just seems like whatever, I don't know. We don't, even hear, we don't even hear from her in this story. And Martha's particularly upset too because you have to understand that hospitality was a very, very big deal back then. Um, in 2 John 10, John says that if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, so the teaching about Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Now, that seems a little harsh to us today, but back then, you've got to understand the context is that hospitality was such a big deal back then that if you welcomed somebody into your home in, in that world, you were telling the, whole, the rest of the, the society around you that you approved of that person, 
and you approved of their message. And so this is a big deal for Martha, that things go well when she has the Son of God, the Messiah, at her house. Add to this, Martha probably knows that he's already a special person. I mean, she calls him the Messiah in John chapter 11. She's probably under no illusions about how special he is. So it's very easy for us to actually kind of sympathize with Martha in this story. It's a little bit curious that Jesus wouldn't take her side. What's going on? Well, let's look at what he says to her again. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha's a busy woman, right? I mean, she's like us, right? In 2015, 2016, she has stuff to do. Martha had good stuff to do. I mean, she's serving Jesus, right? She's doing something good. And Martha, though, is not rebuked for her service. She's rebuked, or corrected, rather, for her anxiety and how she's allowed herself to get worked up and carried away with all the details of life. She has gotten mixed up priorities. She's lost sight of what really matters. In contrast, Luke is trying to show us that Mary gets it. Mary chose the one thing that really matters. The one thing that is necessary. So what is that one thing? What's our single greatest priority as disciples of Christ? Well, there's a, actually a link here. As Jesus says, there's this one thing. We see this phrase in another part of the Bible. It's in Psalm 27, verse 4. And it's King David. And he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. So here's your first point in your, in your writings there, in your slip of paper. A disciple's priority is seeking Jesus' face. Seeking his face. Mary and David have their eyes both set on the same thing, the face of Jesus. They want to know him. They want to grow in him. They want to spend time with him. They want to listen to him. They want to gaze at his beauty. Nothing thrills their hearts more. And this should be our priority in 2016 and every day. See, we live in a very, very busy, distracted culture, probably the busiest that uh, has ever been. Uh, I had some friends of mine, I remember, did some missions in Africa. Um, They sent their daughter away to do a missions trip. And um, I remember when she got home, you know, and I was asking her, Carissa, like, how was it? What was Africa like? And she's like, they just don't do anything. Just slow. There's like nobody, nobody's like busy running around like they are here. It's just, it was just a completely different kind of culture. They, you know, they just show up to church whenever. Can you imagine that? Um, like that would drive us crazy. Like we're just on the time here in, in the West and that's just how we live our lives. It's busy, it's busy, it's busy. And the add to that, all the technology and all the Facebooking and, and all these modern things that we do, it's just busy. We're, just, we're not just busy. Busy's good. We're crazy busy. We're crazy busy. And it's easy for any of us in this room to get caught up in this. 
Because you see, Martha loves Jesus. We've established that. Martha is a believer. And yet even she gets swept up by the details of life, things that she's just put on herself. See, it's easy for us to prioritize other things ahead of spending time in God's presence and seeking to just know Him. As we look back at our days, our weeks, our months, our year, I mean, can you look back and go, wow, I really spent some meaningful time with Jesus this year, this month, this week. Sometimes it's a scary question. Because on the day of judgment, Jesus actually says that there will be a lot of people who come to him and they'll say, Lord, look at all the great stuff we did in your name. And Jesus will just simply say, yeah, but I never knew you. Turn away from me. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be his response to me. It gives me fear that he would ever say that to me. In Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word. They choke the word. The, the word that is sown in us, they choke it. All these things that we're worried about. See, Luke is showing us that Mary is an example of a disciple that has her priorities straight. But you know, we say, oh, we're just, but I'm just busy. Like, I, I can't do anything about it. I don't have time. Like, I, just, I literally just don't have time to read my Bible or pray or actually spend that time that you're talking about. And look, I know we all have different schedules in this room. Like, some of us have shifting schedules, and, and it, it gets a little crazy sometimes. But the reality is we all make time for what's important to us. We all do. It's not a question of do I have time. It's a question of will I make time. Will I make time for God in my life? If I say he's the most important thing to me, does it show up on my calendar Will we make time for Jesus this year? Will we make time for reading his word and prayer? Will we make time for personal devotions and families, family devotions? Family devotions are really important. I want to encourage you families here today that have your kids here. Um, make family devotions a priority. It's really important for you to gather your children together and spend time with Jesus together. I want to give you a couple of helpful principles I, I read in a book called Family Driven Faith by Vodi Bauckham, where he encourages a few things here, and I'll just list them for you. Number one, if you're going to do family devotions, you might want to write these down. Uh, first thing is, it's got to be a conviction. It's got to be a conviction, or else it just won't be sustainable. You have to believe that this is an important thing. Secondly, it begins with the head of the household. So whoever that is, I mean, if you're mom and you're single mom here and it's you, I mean, it's got to be you. But, you know, if there's dad, dads in the room, you got you to gotta lead this thing. You got to go. That's what God has called you to do as the leader of your house. Thirdly, it must be scheduled. Have a scheduled time. Have a regular scheduled time. And, you know, it might be different for different kids. You know, some kids might be better in the morning or in the evening. Fourthly, it must be simple. Keep it simple. 
don't make it super complicated because, you know, they, it just won't work. <laughs> Number five, it must be natural. Don't try to force it. You know, if it's not working that night, well, you know, maybe it's quicker. Move on to the next day. Keep it natural. Number six, make it mandatory. Make it mandatory that we do this, you know. Kids want to go play games or go do other things. Yeah, well, we do this first, and then you can go do that. It's mandatory we do this together as a family. And seventh, it must be participatory. Get your kids involved. Find out fun ways that you can engage them in the time so it's more meaningful for them. Uh, I would add to this list that Vody Bauckham shares, stay focused on it being about meeting with Jesus meeting with Jesus. So, you know, you come in the door and you're, you're tired. I know dads or moms, you know, you, the whole day it's been a tiring day. You're uninspired or maybe it's the morning and it's the same thing. You're just tired and you're carrying all this stuff with you. Bring that in to the family devotion time. Bring that into your personal devotions. Oh God, I need you. And your kids will see that. Oh, Daddy needs Jesus. Mommy needs Jesus. Wow, they really need him. Make him the center. Bring all those needs that you have in with you. So, what are our priorities? That's the first question. Secondly, let's make another observation here about our text. The second point is a disciple's posture. Mary and Martha have a very different posture in this story. Martha's posture is somewhat bossy. Right? She, she doesn't even boss her sister around. She actually bosses Jesus around. Did you notice that? But Mary's posture is she's sitting at his feet. And so there's two things I want to make about this posture. Number one, the first point is a disciple's posture is, to, is sitting at Jesus' feet. A disciple's posture is sitting at Jesus' feet. And I want to make kind of two points about that. Number one, this is a student's posture. So in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, the Apostle Paul said that he was trained as a Pharisee at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a very popular rabbi at the time. He was trained at his feet. So this is a, this is a language at the feet of, it's language of a student with the rabbi. So you place your... Yourself at the feet of someone means you recognize they're the teacher, they're the authority. And you are the learner, you are the student. In fact, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a student. Sometimes we think of the word disciple as just a follower. Well, it is a follower. But see, students back then followed their rabbi around, but they were students. That's what they were there to do. They were there to learn from their master. And so that's what Mary is doing. Her posture is a student's posture. And so... In effect, what this means practically for us is that, you know, when we come to our, our time in the Word and stuff, we let Him set the agenda. We read our Bible in context. We seek to understand it correctly. Not just whatever thought comes to our mind about what we, you know, maybe think it means. We actually dig in and go, I want to learn. There's something I'm not understanding here. Jesus, teach me. Show me the right way. Not just the way that I would like. You know, because we can take Scripture out of context. We can make it say things that we want it to say. But we need to take our cues from Jesus. And that might mean, you know, digging into some extra resources to help you understand the Word. 
Secondly, about her posture. So it's a student's posture. It's a listening posture. It's a listening posture. And this is really at the heart of this passage. Uh, She's listening. She's listening. Are you listening? You know, my wife can tell when I'm not listening. (laughs) Sometimes, Sometimes I'm even there and I'm actually like looking at her and I'm nodding. And I'm, affir- I'm even making noises, like, oh, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. And she'll just look at me and go, okay, what did I say? <laughs> oh, no. You <laughs> uh, said something about taking out the trash? or uh, No, 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 you weren't listening. She can just tell. There's this look I get over my, my eyes. They just sort of glaze over. And she can tell that I am not there. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy for us to do this. Like when, even right now, when we're listening to sermons or when we're reading our Bible, it's just easy to just go through the motions, you know? And I think we just need to, it it takes effort. It takes work for us to pause and go, okay, am I listening? Am I letting it sink in? Listening is what we would call a, sorry, is not what we would call a lean back activity. Listening is not a lean-back activity. It's a lean-in activity. A lean-back activity is like, you know, watching a play or watching TV or something. It's relaxing. You just kind of, you know, maybe you're sort of there. Not really. A lean-in activity takes focus. It takes thinking. It takes mental effort. Your, your, your mind is like a muscle, and you have to work it. See, Mary is leaning in to Jesus. I just picture her like a little child, you know, at her grandpa's knee, and she's just there, and she is just drinking it in. She wants just more and more of it. We gather as a church to hear the word preached. We open our Bibles. Are we listening? Listening requires something further here, a discipline of meditation, and this is really, really important. Meditation is a a very important spiritual discipline for us. Meditation is like chewing gum, kids. You let an idea, a thought, a word, a picture roll around in your head, and you chew on it for a while, and you think about it, and you consider it, and you pray it through, and you process it, and you ask God to show you the truth by His Spirit. Christian meditation is very different than Eastern yoga-like meditation, okay? Just so you know, those of you who go to yoga class, the meditation they're talking about is different. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. But Christian meditation is about filling your mind with the Word of God. That's a key difference. Now, as you do that, there will be stuff that will empty out. All the cares and the worries, and as you focus on God... That stuff will go, but you're filling your mind with God's word. Here's what it says in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. If you make this your habit, to be in the word, to listen to the word, to meditate on the word, God will use that to make you a success. Blessed is the man, it says in Psalm 
chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Is God's word your delight? Is it your delight? Perhaps you like to listen to scripture, to music, or an audio Bible, whatever means you use to get the word in isn't as important as just getting it in and thinking about it and meditating on it. Here's what Scott Oliphant said. He's a pastor. He said, My own conviction is that without meditating on Scripture, there is no possibility for significant, lasting, and obvious holiness. It's the means God uses to produce holy character in our lives. Meditation moves beyond just uh, knowing information and a knowledge of the truth to something deeper. Here's what Thomas Watson said. I love this. There is as much a difference between the knowledge of a truth and the meditation of a truth as there is between the light of a torch and the light of the sun. Set up a lamp or a torch in the garden, and it has no influence. The sun hath a sweet influence. It makes the plants to grow, and the herbs to flourish. So knowledge is but like a torch lighted in the understanding, which hath little or no influence. It makes not a man better. But meditation is like the shining of the sun, it operates upon the affections and it warms the heart and makes it more holy. Love that. Brothers and sisters, are you meditating on God's word? Maybe you're meditating on something else. Listen to Second John 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Are you abiding in the teaching? I want to leave with just some practical encouragements for you. Number one, I said, you know, instead of resolutions, have a, have a priority, just this one priority. We call it a, like a keystone habit. So instead of, you know, writing down a list of all these different things to do, write down this one thing. Keystone habit of getting into the Word and prayer this year. And just make that your one thing. Nothing else. And you know what? You will find that the other stuff will start to find its place. It will. If that's your priority. Number two, um, let the Word of God speak. Uh, Families, when you do your family devotions, try to avoid lecturing It's, it's like a trap. It's like the parent trap. Just let, just open the Word. You know, if it's a kid's Bible or whatever, whatever you've got to use, but just open it and let it do the talking and let it stir up the questions in your kids and let it do it because otherwise, you know what, you'll, you'll waste your breath. If your kids are interested and they're driving the conversation, it changes. But let God's Word stir it up. Let God's Word speak. Uh, thirdly, another encouragement would be um, unplug unplug we just live in there's so much I mean technology is amazing it's a gift from God you know and sometimes technology can be used as a way of getting into the word there are great Bible reading plans online and 
There, it's just amazing what you can do with technology. But if technology is being a hindrance to you, unplug. Have times where you shut it off. You get rid of it so you can focus on Jesus. You know, sometimes the technology can be a little bit like Whoville to the Grinch. Right? All the noise, 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 noise. And it's just distracting, right? It's just distracting and you can't hear God speak. You can't see Him. And, you know, it begins to cloud our vision of the bright sky, right? We need to clear those clouds away so we can see the glory of God. Lastly, again, just instead of resolutions, make it a priority. May it be a priority this year to seek Jesus' face and to sit at His feet. And remember, this is not meant to be a law. Don't make this a law. Don't make this some burden that if you uh, break it, you know, God's going to smite you kind of thing. Notice in our passage, Jesus doesn't come up to Martha and say, Yeah, Martha, man, you really blew it. Like, how dare you? He's not guilting her. He's gently reminding her, Martha, you know what? Actually, she's got it right. Why don't you come sit? Experience my love and my grace. That's what these disciplines are for. They're for allowing us room so we can experience more of God's grace. It's not meant to be a law, but it's putting ourselves in a position to experience more of His grace. So may you be strengthened by His grace in 2016. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for myself. And um, I hope it's a happy, happy new year. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Holy Father, we, uh, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, thank you that you're the kind of God who wants to just pour out grace into our, our lives, our hearts. You want to change us, Father. God, and you know that we're slow to change. God, I pray this year we could make this our, our habit. May it start in our hearts, Lord. May it be a burning desire. And God, if we don't have that desire this morning, give us that desire. Give us the desire to know you, to go deep with you, to know the truth, to seek your face, to listen to you speak to us. God, it warms our hearts when you speak to us. And God, it is eternal life. To know you is eternal life. God, it's what we will do when we get to heaven. We will spend time with you. We will look at your glory. We'll worship you. God, may that be our priority this year. Help us, Father, we pray. May your grace go with us. May you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.